Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Gays Against Guns is an inclusive direct action group of LGBTQ plus people and allies committed to nonviolently breaking the gun industry's chain of death. Investors, manufacturers, the NRA, and politicians who block safer gun laws. Greetings, gaggers. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Welcome to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I am your host, Sarah Germaine Lilly, and later in the show, we'll be hearing from Ty Kersley and Sean Stefanik on our show, Talking About Guns, our In Memoriam, Randy Escamilla and Jocelyn Ruiz. We have an interview with Fred Gutenberg, the author of American Carnage, and a radio gag discussion talking about gun violence with Ty Kersley and Sean Stefanik. Next up, our In Memoriam. We include the In Memoriam on our podcast and in our meetings as a reminder of why we fight against gun violence and advocate for victims and survivors. In remembrance of Brandy Escamilla, 29 years old, and Jocelyn Ruiz, 26 years old, June 17, 2023, in Washington. Jocelyn Ruiz and her fiance, Brandy Escamilla, both registered nurses, were shot and killed while attending the Beyond Wonderland EDM Festival at the Jorge Amphitheater. A gunman opened fire on a crowd in the designated camping area, which was directly outside the festival grounds. The suspect was an active duty member of the U.S. Army based at the Joint Base Lewis-McChord in Washington State. Investigations are still ongoing, so a motive for the shooting remains unclear. However, the Ruiz family attorney, Kevin Boyle, shared in a media statement, quote, what we believe is that there was a domestic violence situation going on between the shooter and someone else, and that Jocelyn stepped in to help the victim. Three other people were also injured in the June 17th shooting. The women were two months away from a trip to Greece with family, one of the many places they, the engaged couple were considering for a wedding venue. Brandy Escamilla had saved money to purchase a custom-made engagement ring, a pear-shaped diamond from a jeweler in downtown Los Angeles. She just needed the right time to propose to her high school sweetheart, Jocelyn. Everywhere she went, she had the ring with her until she was able to propose. And the opportunity came in January 2022, up in the mountains of Banff in Alberta, Canada. In the middle of a frozen lake, Brandy got on one knee and asked Jocelyn to marry her. It came out exactly the way she dreamed. They were meant to be together forever, Brandy's mother said as Jocelyn's mother nodded. They never did anything without each other. It was unique. The pair met in high school. Together, they graduated from Mount St. Mary's University, Los Angeles. They later went on to work as nurses in the COVID-19 unit at City of Hope in Duarte. After getting engaged, they moved to Seattle as travel nurses to become their own people and live on their own. And they did it, said Anita Ruiz, Jocelyn's mother. Jocelyn had a big heart and always stood up for other people, according to her mother. She enjoyed playing sports, volleyball, and some softball. 
challenging each other to pursue new things in the last few months, Jocelyn had taken up acting classes and begun learning Spanish, while Brandy had joined a softball league after years away from the sport. At Mount St. Mary's, a private Catholic university, Jocelyn had started a gay-straight alliance club. She opened a door for other students to speak out, said her father, John Ruiz. She lived life on her terms, and she was going to carve out a way for her and Brandy to have an equal life like any other couple. She wanted people to be accepting of others, to love, and be open about love. John Ruiz said he remembered recently calling his daughter and asking about their upcoming plans. They were on their way to a kickboxing gym. The next day he called, she told him they had just bought a kayak from down the street. Our girls knew what they wanted out of life and out of their relationship, he said. They brought out the best of us as parents and all the people around them. The parents said that they're determined that their daughter's love story will not end with their deaths. The couple had planned to travel to Italy and Greece with Jocelyn's parents this fall. We're still going to do our Europe trip, Anita said. And then, as she directed her words towards the Escamillas, family should go with us because life is short and we should celebrate them. We remember you, Brandy and Jocelyn. Thank you to Sean Stefanik for sharing this tribute to a beautiful couple. And now our interview with Fred Gutenberg, co-author of American Carnage, Shattering the Myths That Fuel Gun Violence. This week I spoke with Fred, father of Jamie Gutenberg, who was killed at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in 2018. Fred Gutenberg is one of the most powerful activists I have heard speak about reforming the epidemic of gun violence in this country. Let's listen. Hello, listeners. I am just thrilled to be here with Fred Gutenberg, whom I have heard speak many times passionately about um, gun violence. Fred is an author, an activist, and a dad, dad of Jamie, who died, who was killed at Parkland just over five years ago. So Fred, thank you so much for being here today. Um, we really appreciate it. And um, I'm really happy to see you here today. Well, thank you for having me. Um, and I hope you are, and anyone listening is staying cool wherever you are, because this heat is, is oppressive. Yeah, it sure is. So starting off today, I want to ask you, why did you write the book American Carnage with Tom Gabor and what effect would you like it to have? I wrote it with Tom because, you know, after my daughter was killed over five years ago, uh, I became extremely active in the work to reduce gun violence and I, and I was truly troubled and taken by how much of what brought America to where we are today is based upon disinformation and lies, just straight out lies. Um, and how much of the platform and the discussions around guns and gun violence is based upon a platform that was set by the gun lobby about 30 years ago, because this is not who America has always been. And it's dishonest and it's lies. And so Tom came to me about two years ago asking me to join him on a project that he had already started. And uh, when he said that it was to take on the lies and myths of the gun lobby, I said, count me in. Um, I, 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 I want to do this with you. 
And uh, it, is, it is one of the most important things I've ever done in my life doing this book because um, the time is now. You know, listen, my daughter should have turned 20 last week. In 20 years in this country, we've doubled the number of weapons without any regard for safety. And in 20 years in this country, we've gone from AR-15 cells that were less than 2% of all guns sold to 25% without any regard for safety. And it's been because of this platform of lies. It is time for America to know and understand the truth, how to talk about the truth, and for those who want to stop the next instance of gun violence to have the path to go forward. I love the focus on myth busting in this book because, you know, we it's it's such an American thing. You know, I think everybody thinks about uh, the myth busters show and how much fun that is to really debunk uh, basically a lie that everybody is familiar with that everybody kind of thinks is common knowledge. So that is it's awesome to focus around this. And it's shocking that in 20 years we've doubled these statistics and these deaths we got to get something done on this problem so um in chapter five you write about the truth about guns and self-defense and that was eye-opening for me can you give us some takeaways from that chapter yeah um listen i'll just say this Back in 77, the NRA was taken over by a guy by the name of Harlan Carter, who changed a vowel in his name. Nobody knew at the time, but he was a convicted murderer. 77, 1977, isn't an incredibly long time ago. Um, because up until then, this country has always been one that, while we had gun owners, we also focused on gun safety. Harlan Carter recognized that gun ownership rates and purchases were declining in America. We no longer had a draft and hunting as a sport was on the decline. So they had to pursue a new strategy and he pivoted the NRA to A, get far more focused on elections and politicians as well as providing a new reason to buy guns. Hence, this whole development of the idea that we as a country are all at risk of others. We're good guys and we are bad guys. That's basically the way they divided the country. And all the bad guys, they have guns already. And all of us good guys, we need to defend ourselves from the bad guys. Now, I'm really minimize, I'm not minimize, I'm kind of um, putting this in as simple a context as I can. But in order to do that, they started funding data and research that went on um, separate over the course of the next call 10 years. It was all bogus. It was all a lie. The premises were wrong. The, the conclusions were wrong. And their research started to get called out. Good research started to get done. It was too late. The idea that we need to defend ourselves from these bad guys had taken hold. The idea 
that we need guns in our homes to defend ourselves from the bad guys who are going to break into our homes had taken hold. And, um, but it was all a lie. The data doesn't support it. And, and more importantly, what the data does show is that for those who do have guns in their homes, rather than it being used in some defensive use, it's more likely to be used by one person in the home against another person in the home. And, you know, the, the, the heart to me, and, and this is part of why, going back to the first question, why I wrote this book, because um, it has fueled gun sales in this country to the point where in 20 years we've doubled. Go back to the Sandy Hook shooting. Because this is the this is the part that just has troubled me in such a, a in a horrible way. After the Sandy Hook shooting, the NRA gave it about a week before they had a public comment. But their public comment after the Sandy Hook shooting was to say, for the very first time, and again, it gets to the defensive uses, for the very first time, a line that we all know now but it didn't exist before Sandy Hook only 10 years ago. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. That line never existed before the Sandy Hook shooting. It was the NRA response to the Sandy Hook shooting. They used that shooting as a gun sales bonanza. Um, hence, it is time to put these myths and lies to an end. Okay. Having more guns has not made us safer. It has made us far more dangerous as a country, and we are far higher risk of being shot. Fred, you opened my eyes with uh, the uh, statistic that one in five, or is it even one in four Americans had been uh, threatened with a gun? And you reminded me of times, you know, when I was going hiking with my family um, up in the Adirondacks and we accidentally parked in the wrong place and a couple of guys came out with their rifles to tell us, you know, that this is private property. And you also remind me of my dad, who was a Republican. I couldn't get him in the 60s or the 70s to change to the Democratic Party. <laughs> but he he was a Republican, but uh, but his philosophy was, you know, when, when all of these things came out about welfare cheats and the bad guys in society who are trying to rip us off, you know, basically our neighbors, you know, he, he instilled in me this philosophy that you know most people want to work and contribute most people want to be engaged in uh, a good life and community and he was an entertainer he was a musician so he saw this in his work all the time how you know you play music and and people become engaged and they become their best selves at that moment when they're you know when they're they're yeah, part yeah. Yes, right so i wish this was a longer interview but you know let's get right to it because now in chapter 11 you talk about changing the focus from gun rights to public safety can you share some insights about that yeah i have no issue with gun owners you know what they've been a part of our country's history forever i i have no issue with their legal right to safely do what they do. I have an issue with 
the idea that the Second Amendment gives anyone and everyone an unfettered right to any weapon at any time that they want without any regard for safety. Okay. That's what I have an issue with. And so by all means, this, my, my hope, my work is not to restrict the rights of gun owners and gun owners know that legitimate, responsible, lawful gun owners. They agree with me on this, but their reality is there's a, there are people in this country who intend harm to themselves or others and suicide is self-directed violence. And we need to have in place mechanisms for the safety of oneself or someone else. It is not hard to do. You know, we, we are now as a country because of, you know, what we have done over the past, call it 20 years, put ourselves in a place where everyone is at more rest because we didn't have any regard for public safety while pushing this notion of more guns across America. And we're now paying the consequence for that. This isn't our country's history. Our country's history is one where we've been able to exist with gun owners and gun safety. That's who we've always been. This is really a problem that started right around 2000. It is not our country's history, but we've seen the consequences of doubling the arsenal in this country without a regard for safety. And, a, and it is time to now make public safety, how we ensure the rights of our kids to go to school safely, to go to a movie theater safely, for us to go shop in a Walmart or a mall safely, to go worship safely, to sit in a public park or public square safely. That's what we need to do now. The guns are already out there. This idea that we're gonna go take away, no, there's 400 million guns, they're out there. How do we talk about safety? That's the mission going forward. Yeah, absolutely. We got to talk about safety and really, you know, I, so many people claim that they uh, respect uh, law enforcement and military will take a look at their training around weapons, take a look at their accuracy under uh, in defensive situations, um, you know, and all of this, all of this you explain so well in the book, American Carnage, people get it read it it's a kind of it's perfect for the summertime because you could pick it up and you could put it down and and uh, a chapter at a time one myth at a time is great to just uh, focus on and you'll you'll just be more confident when you're talking to others about about guns so fred would you like to comment on the current climate in gun violence prevention as if you haven't like everything you're talking about is so relevant no but listen the, the current climate is this. For the first time in 30 years this year, we passed the Safer Communities Act, a gun violence prevention measure that President Biden signed. Um, and, and the good news is there is data showing finally, after a year of, of that act being um, signed, that maybe we're starting to turn the corner. We've seen the, the homicide rates started to decline. We've seen kids because of enhanced background checks not being able to buy guns that they would otherwise use in a crime. But it's it's early and it's not nearly enough. If, if people are listening to this, 
and they want to understand where we're at. The current climate is this. There's an election coming in 24. It's one year away. Um, the ability to really turn the corner on this issue, to really put public safety at the forefront, rests on the 24 election. And I would just simply tell anybody listening to me right now who inevitably always says, what can I do? Is a really simple answer. You get up and vote. Don't worry about voting for a perfect candidate. Don't worry about falling in love with a candidate. Figure out which candidate genuinely wants to do something to reduce gun violence and vote for that candidate. Yeah. And uh, we're going to be all about that at uh, Gays Against Guns. Fred Gutenberg, thank you so much for all the work you. you're doing. The book is American Carnage, Shattering the Myths that Fuel Gun Violence by Thomas Gabor and Fred Gutenberg. Thank you so much for being with us today, Fred. Thank you, Sarah. This is Radio Gag, the Gays Against Gun Show. You can hear us on any podcast platform. We want to hear from you. Subscribe and leave a message after you listen. After five years of podcasting, Radio Gag is developing and changing. Tell us what you love about Radio Gag or what really makes you gag about gun violence. Okay, welcome everybody. We are here with our uh, Radio Gag producers today. We have Sean Stefanik, I'm Sarah Lilly, and we have Ty Kersley. And we're gonna be talking about how to talk with people about gun violence. Hi, Sarah, hey. this is Ty. Hi, this is Sean Stefanik. Uh, Great. So. I've been reading, I've been doing some reading about this. I want to be able to talk to people uh, more effectively about uh, gun violence. And I've had some notable boo-boos in this area. But I, I've been looking at two books lately. Uh, this one is called How to Talk About Guns with Anyone by Katherine Schweit who is uh, retired from the FBI. She's a, a former um, prosecutor, and she has in particular specialized with developing policies around uh, safety that have to do with mass shootings. And then the other book I have here is American Carnage, Shattering the Mist that Fueled Gun Violence by Thomas Gabor and uh, Fred Gutenberg. I just wanted to start out with saying something that um, that Catherine, the, a point that she makes, Catherine Schweit in her book, and it is that gun violence is everyone's problem. And I wonder how do we find common ground with people with such a difference of opinion on this subject? The main way that I talk to people about it is if you use the parallel with automobiles in this country how they're regulated, how you have to be trained, you have to be licensed, and you have to be insured. So those three things for a, a mode of transportation um, are not required for a weapon that is only meant to kill people. Yeah. Sean, why don't you weigh in? 
I, I have to uh, agree with Ty on, yeah, I think it's true. Uh, connection in, 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 in my personal experience when I talk to people about that is film, for instance, let's just say some Stallone or Schwarzenegger picture where, you know, one of them are out there kicking butt and then taking numbers later or something. And, you know, that's, that's a good place to start because those films are very violent. They most certainly include just about every single kind of whatever firearm there is out there or in there. And, you know, when you, when you get to talking and you get to you break you're breaking the film down you're you're having a fun time and you're getting down to the details about the this and the that and who said this so somehow the conversation will take a turn you know talking about action sequences and firearms and whatnot and I have to admit that I always take that opportunity to to bring the conversation back down and say yes but of course you do realize that this is all fiction and that the reality is that it's not glamorous it's not whatever and as much as you want to go out of your way to to prove your strength and get the final word and, you know, use a firearm or something like that. It's the reality is you're not going to go, you're not going to get, you know, be awarded any medals. You're not going to have end credits roll over your victory as you stand on someone's bloody skull or something. Because like Ty mentioned, you know, no one has the right, even if they're a thief, to take anybody else's life. And and that's, in my, like I said, my experiences, that's typically how I talk to people through some kind of common ground, whether it's film or whether it's a song or whether it's this or whatever. But there is always a way in. In my experience, I've, I've, I've learned there's always a way in. And I've never, aside from some of the wackadoos that have approached us in some of our direct action endeavors, I've never had any real misfortunes, I'm happy to say so far, of dealing with someone, whether in a group conversation or one-on-one, -on -one, who's been terribly off the walls and unreachable for me. But yeah, connection is, I think, the number one way to get into, find something to connect with, and then you have an in. The one thing that has worked for me too i spent 20 years in the air force and we were all armed but guess what you know we were trained we were you know you were held accountable if you lost your weapon if you lost ammo so that mentality of now america does not have any of that regulation but i come from a world where it only had regulation i can talk sensible to someone about it one of the things that uh, Catherine Schweit points out is that we tend to give these uh, fact-based uh, declarative statements to each other. And then it becomes a debate about um, the particular facts. And it ignores the big picture that we're talking about of the overwhelming problem of increasing deaths and injuries and the number one you know, the one number one killer of children, this kind of thing. So she suggested instead of these declarative sentences, and we'll use one from the other side, I guess, um, uh, guns don't kill people, people kill people, uh, asking people, what do you think can help turn those numbers around and bring them down? Why do you think people are so frightened today? Um, what do you think about um, introducing the same kind of safety measures that we use for cars? And then getting into this type of analogy. So I, I thought that that might be a useful tack for talking to people. The, the worst thing that I hear 
from people concerning cars is when they say that a gun is a right, car is a privilege, that's the difference, you know, like it's, when that happens, I really have to hold my tongue because either I'm gonna punch them or get punched, so. <laughs> wow, there's We're, a We are non-violently breaking the chain. <laughs> this is true. Non-violently <laughs> breaking the chain of death of the gun industry, Sean, there's no punching. This is true. When, when we took to the streets, held up signs, explaining to people, hey, we're boycotting FedEx until they drop their NRA ties. A lot of people, at least in that point of time, were still defending the NRA. So that I want to bring that part in, too. Um, what has the NRA done? You know, like completely protecting their membership to an organization that is crucial to their hobby. Um that individual's exchange is already ready to scream at anyone who came out against the NRA as if we have attacked something personal as a, you know, as a gay man, we all have our own divas that we kind of like needed their hands were out when we needed them the most. And you'll see generations kind of fight over who's better and, and yada, yada. But at the end of the day, they got us to where we wanted to be. And we quote them and we sing them and dress up like them. And we do everything that we can to pay tribute to anyone who has their hand out to, you know, our community there's a hero worship there between both. So there's a hero worship in the fact that, ah, somebody was listening to me and wrote a song about what I'm going through. And there's the same thing as these men saying, no, this is the definition of who you are from a very young age to who you're supposed to be. And if you attack anything, it's almost like I'm attacking everything your father taught you. I'm attacking everything about your, you know, it, there's, there's something involved in their psyche that if something changes, then they're not defined the same. It, 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 it tears them away. If somebody, you know, complains about, you know, one singer over another, you're ready to fight for it. You're like, no, they did this for me. And the NRA has done a lot for people and they don't want to break ties with them. No, no. I mean, I, I if I may, I'll, I'll, I'll add on to that, that it's true, because what you're talking about now is this idolization of both the firearms and the NRA. But since we're talking about the NRA specifically, I think that's a perfect example. You know, a lot of us in our community, you know, we love Madonna or, you know, Christina Aguilera or someone or, you know, me personally, I'm a Tallulah Bankhead person myself. She did. She hung out with us a lot back in those 30s, 40s and 50s. And, and you don't want to, you know, when something like that makes you feel good, when that becomes part of your identity. But there also comes a point when you just kind of have to grow up and like, okay, yeah, yeah, Tula Bankhead was like dead 20 years before I was born. So there comes a point when, yeah, that's just not reality beyond how much I just love her in Lifeboat and how fabulous she was in Die, Die, My Darling. Sean, that key word you said is, is community. Um, yeah. And there was some there's something about our community that when it's attacked, we have to be vigilant. It affects us. <clears throat> what you have really uh, pointed to is one of the reasons that I think people in other countries uh, look at us and think we're crazy, uh, that we have such a terrific problem with gun violence, because you're talking about identity. And whenever people's identity is threatened, it's painful, right or wrong, good or bad. It's uh, an emotional response that people have to grapple with because, uh, you know, who of us has our identity figured out, you know, uh, and, and yet we know what those things are and we know what the feelings are for sure. What do we say to people who ask us, 
you know, how do I talk to my family? How do I talk to my father, who's a, a, a lifelong um, NRA member? Yeah, what advice would you give to someone who says, I want to, I'm going to go and talk to my family or my community right. members about gun violence? How do I get the conversation started? Well, in most families we've, in America, you've lost someone to gun violence or they, they have, or there's been a recent shooting. One way I think is to use when someone's doing something that's working. New York is creating great gun violence prevention laws. Did you hear about all of this that we have? Meanwhile, this state doesn't, you know, or why not push for Ethan's law? Why not push for, you know, safe storage for children? That's a great conversation starter. My personal problem is, especially with, with states like Oklahoma and Ohio, I have to admit my fault in the in the uh, and the, the ongoing fight that this has become, because there's a part of me that's so angry with those states and the stuff. I mean, we're pretty fortunate here that we have very sensible people, sensible politicians. We have a lot of great you know, resources, they do not. Um, I would say my, my first suggestion would be don't go up against a wall of people. Start with just one or two people tops, because as we established earlier, that's easier. You can most certainly get more done. You can get more words out with just one or two people, with you know, than you can with like, you know, more than five or six. So I would definitely start with any number below three, basically. <laughs> I am also thinking that um, it's hard to understand what our problems are uh, or why we have such a big problem with gun violence in this country. And I would recommend um, reading a book. Um, one great book, I think, is uh, The Second by Carol Anderson. Um, yeah. Um, so uh, Carol Anderson's book, The Second, and um, yeah, reading a book and, and then also a book like American Carnage, um, Fred Gutenberg and Thomas Gabor uh, gives you a, a wide range of points that you can talk about and become more knowledgeable about. For example, how much, how much we spend as Americans on gun violence each year, somewhere around $280 billion. Okay. If you had only one thing that you could uh, that you could share with someone in a conversation about uh, gun violence, what would it be? I'd ask them a question. I'd say, well, are you sick and tired of hearing everybody fighting about it on the news? And they might say, well, actually, I am. Well, then don't you want to be part of the solution so you don't see it on the news anymore? So thank you all for uh, joining us. Um, I hope uh, the summer is full of some productive conversations and some time to relax with family and friends, but also some time to give some good messaging around this gun violence epidemic and, you know, help people understand that gun violence is all of our responsibility and that we can act effectively to have an impact on this crisis. That's great. Well, thanks for this, Sarah. Yes, thank you so much, Sarah. And thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. For all of you out there, don't be afraid to have the conversation. Remember, gun violence is a public health crisis and it does affect all of us. So while you're out there enjoying your summer,
Call to action. It's Guacathon 2023. Follow Change the Ref across the country as they fight gun violence one stop at a time. Gaze Against Guns will join Guac's magical tour in New York City in the middle of August, so stay tuned for more details and follow Change the Ref on Instagram. Hey gaggers, Gaze Against Guns is in South Florida. They will host their first meeting in August, so follow Gag South Florida, that's G-A-G-S-F-L, on Instagram and Facebook. Naturally, in South Florida and in other parts of the country with more gun owners than New York City, people want to know what against guns means in our name, and we've had a few discussions about changing it. Kevin Herzog, a founding member, has this to say about changing our name. When Gays Against Guns began, there was a great many people who disliked the name, for one reason or another. When the Thursday night meeting was pulling in hundreds of people, we had a ruckus conversation about the name on the floor, and the decision was made to keep the name as is. The decision alienated many folks who felt that the name was too combative, and others for other reasons, but those of us who decided to stay and get our hands dirty were in favor of keeping the name because we wanted Gag to be a radical voice in the GVP atmosphere, that it become, in our opinion, too milquetoast, too polite, and too adverse to confrontation. I'm proud to say that we were the first GVP group who incorporated civil disobedience into their mission at a core level, and I think GAG can take at least partial credit for that aspect, which can be seen in other groups that have followed us, such as March for Our Lives. Every time I see people disrupting an event or shouting on the streets, I know that it happened because we blazed a trail for them the way that queer people have always done. And trailblazers are often an uncomfortable bunch of individuals. But that discomfort is a price you pay for the growing pains that lead to change. So I understand that people are uncomfortable with the name. It was designed to be in your face and uncomfortable in order to take a strong stand. To find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us, Gaze Against Guns NY on Facebook and Instagram or Gag No Guns on Twitter. Everybody is welcome to any and all gag events. It's time to end our show. Thanks for listening, and we are back with a new episode every week. And don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on any major podcast platform. Our shows are featured on Brick Free Speech Radio. It's also known as Brooklyn Free Speech Radio. So please subscribe to our podcasts so you'll be notified when new shows drop. And we leave you with our fabulous singing quartet, Sing Out Louise. Take me out at the ball game. Shoot me down at the bar. Come to the movies and watch us fall. Come to church, come to school, kill Kill us all, go on block, block, block any gun laws. Sell your soul, have no shame. Yes, it's one, two, three strikes you lose at the old gun game.